Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump into this. How are you doing today, Enrique? I'm doing good, bro. How are you? Oh, I'm good, man, and I am super hyped to jump into all of this. So, as always, let's start off with our weekly questions here. First one, who will lead the Broncos in interceptions in 2022? Our options, Caden Stearns, Kareem Jackson, Patrick Sertan II, or Justin Simmons. You guys chose Justin Simmons. Enrique, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with that. And partially just because of like just where he plays on the field. I just think that he's exposed to more situations to where he can get more interceptions. And even more so, I was uh, I think I actually sent you the graphic of it. Uh, and it says he had six interceptions last year. I didn't know he had that many. Yeah. I did not know he had that many at all. Yeah. I didn't know Patrick Sertan had, I think he had three. Three or four. I think four, yeah. Yeah, so, and for a rookie, that's crazy too. Yeah. But, um, and I also don't think that Patrick Sertan is going to get a lot of looks this year either. Mm-hmm. I, I think that people are going to try to stay away from throwing to his side of the field and look at the Broncos' other corners. Um, and Justin Simmons just plays in the middle of the field where, you know, a lot of those big looping passes come. And yeah, well, and I didn't really watch a lot of Broncos games last year either because. There's just no way. There's just no way I was going to do that. But, um, yeah, I think it would be Justin Simmons for sure. Absolutely. No, and I think you're spot on. And, you know, I love the point that you brought up with um, Patrick Sertan because I think that out of these options, he would be the other one that you would potentially choose. But to your point, and that was exactly what I was going to bring up, and I love that you brought it up, was in his second year, you know, in his first year as a rookie, Uh, teams were looking to throw the ball to him to test him because you look to test those uh, rookie corners and uh, test their mettle and if they can actually uh, defend. And a lot of times, you know, if they can't and they're just too early in that process, you can abuse them. Um, And so teams will often do that. Uh, And in Patrick Sertan's case, he showed in his rookie year that he was absolutely up to that task. Um, And you saw at the end of his rookie year, the teams kind of started to stop. Uh, they would go to the other side of the field and, and stop testing him as much because they realized, okay, this dude's real. And I think that's only going to uh, continue into his second year. And so uh, I think he got those interceptions because he was being tested so much. And like Enrique said, probably just not going to get those opportunities uh, in his second year. So, yeah, I think uh, we both agree with you guys on the poll there. Justin Simmons is probably going to be uh, that dude this year. So our second weekly question, uh, obviously fight night between Ortega versus Rodriguez going down today, Saturday. Uh, you know, who wins that fight? That's going to be a really interesting one. What do you think, Enrique? Uh, yeah, I think this one's going to be a really interesting fight, uh, especially for both these guys as they're looking to um, try and get a fight with the champ. You know, we were just talking about Alex Volkanovski off air and um, yeah, I, I think that, especially for Brian Ortega, I think he's the one that has uh, the most, I, I guess he's closer to a title shot to me. But Yair probably gets one if he beats Ortega right now. So um, I think it's probably going to be Brian Ortega, though. I think it's a very classic uh, grappler versus uh, like striker type of matchup, which it, it could go a lot of different ways. Both these guys could stand and bang. I just think that Brian Ortega has more weapons to win the fight. Um, 
because he's super deadly in submissions. Like it's not, it isn't like uh, it's like really not even like he almost choked out Alex Wolkanowski. It's like kind of what he's, it's his nickname, you know, the T City thing. Like that's like literally his nickname. So. Yeah. And I don't think Yair has. Um, I don't think he just has that weapon. So, and I think that's how Ortega is actually going to win. I think it's going to be a submission. I think he's just going to catch him. I don't know if it'll be like um, like a choke per se, but he might just like break a dude's arm or something. Yeah. I, I, I plus I don't I don't really care for Yair Rodriguez, so I'm definitely rooting against him. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really fun one. And like you said, I think there's implications for both of these guys in this fight. You know, so they're both looking to take it. They both have motivation and. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting main event for this fight night here, uh, you know, alongside a few other interesting fights on that main card. Um, so with that, we can move on to our new section here. So our first story here, Jason McCourty retires, formerly of the Patriots and the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, a great player. Obviously, his brother is still playing up there with the Patriots. Um, but Jason here calls it quits. Um, and yeah, I mean... You know, a, a really solid career over, I think, over a decade and a very respectable. I don't know um, if they're pushing Hall of Fame. They do have a couple championships under their belt as they were part of that dynasty there. But, um, yeah, I mean, really solid player. Yeah, super solid player. I wouldn't say Hall of Fame, but Hall of Enrique and Ryan's love for sure. There you go. Both of them. The I mean, the, like, two identical twins play on the same team. Dude. Like it's pretty cool. Got the Super it. Bowls. Um, yeah, like very, very few Patriot players I like, and Jason and Devin McCourty are those guys. So there's probably like a list of I can think of four, and one of them's a murderer. So. <laughs> but yeah. Oh man, yeah. No, definitely for sure. And uh, you know, a couple of really solid guys, a couple of really solid players, and uh, excited to see what his brother can continue to do up there with the Patriots. Speaking of which, uh, the Patriots trade wide receiver Nikhil Harry to the Bears for a 2024 seventh round pick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we all kind of saw this coming at some point, whether uh, Nikhil Harry was going to end up being released or traded. Uh, just did not work out after being a first round pick there for the Patriots. And uh, now he moves on to a new scene there with the Bears and Justin Fields. Uh, I feel so bad for Justin Fields. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we thought, I mean, I just thought they were going to release him outright. So the fact yeah. that they got anything from him is great. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's just like a change of scenery. Um, but the Patriots, like, I think he's, was he the last draft pick before Mac Jones? I, is, it, is it the draft class right before? I think you're right, yeah. So I would say they didn't really hit on a lot of draft picks mm-hmm. before Mac. So, I don't know. It's not entirely crazy that he's finally off the team. But it just it does suck to – well, no. This was great. The Patriots had a first-round bust. That's true. This is great. That's true. This is a positive. Perfect. Positive story. <laughs> positive story. <laughs> All smiles around here. So, the next story here, uh, Texans getting a new battle red helmet uh, it's shiny red color, obviously the same red that they wear on the uniforms. It looks super nice. Uh, super excited for this one for sure. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, I love I love the NFL just getting crazier with the helmets. 
Um, I hope the Jets get one, but our helmet's yeah. so good right now. Like, I can't even hate on our helmet because our helmet looks good with the white uniforms. Yeah, looks good with the green ones, and it looks so good with the black ones. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I love this battle red uniform or battle red helmet. I'm excited to see it with the all reds, but I'm wondering if it's gonna be like too red at that point. I think it might look better with like the whites or the blues or even that color rush that they wore, um, mm. like the Sean era color rush with the red numbers. Yeah, that look pretty clean with it too. So. Yeah, that's true. I can get down with either of those. Yeah, I think it would definitely com- uh, complement that color rush, like you said, really well. My initial thought was the white uniforms because they have like the red shoulder yeah. um, patches, and that fits really well too. Um, so I think both of those will look really nice. And I, I even, uh, when we were talking about it, told you I think they need a white helmet too. That'd and that cool. would be so like every team just give me three helmets that go with the different uniforms. Right. Like, same thing with the Jets. Give me, you got the green. Give me a like nice matte black, or it doesn't have to be matte, yeah. shiny black because it works better with the other ones, and then a nice like gloss white. Yeah, I'd like, love a white helmet. I'd love a white. I, I honestly, I would just even like like a throw, but like, can we just wear the helmets we just had? Yeah, like I don't even need anything honestly. crazy. Like, yeah, can I just have the ones that just had? I know you guys still I have miss them in the those. Right. I know you still have them in the closet. <laughs> just bust them out. It's not that hard. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, um, speaking of white helmets. Exactly. Speaking of white helmets, the Bengals teasing a new white helmet to match their color rush uniforms. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, I love this trend of uh, creativity with the NFL, obviously spurred on with the helmets this offseason with them, uh, you know, removing the one shell rule uh, that prevented teams from painting, um, you know, a helmet more than once during the season. So you could not do more than one color. And now the Bengals, you know, obviously they have that color rush with the full white and then the black stripes. It's super, super sick. But it was just kind of looked a little odd with the black and orange helmet. It just wasn't quite right. Um, and, you you know, you kind of saw this coming if they ever had the opportunity, and now it's finally here. Get the white helmet with the black stripes. It's going to look so good. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. I just um, – the only thing about these uniforms that – I don't like is now um, my eyes are going to be drawn directly to the center of everyone's chest because that's yeah. the only orange left on the uniform is right around versus bangle. Um, but yeah, um, another thing too is like we were talking about is I just can't buy, like I could buy a helmet, I guess, but like the jersey looks good. It's going to look good on TV. So I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, I just, I really do hope that every NFL team does this. Like, just in general. Just throw one out there. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Um, but the Broncos should definitely change their color rush helmet. Because their color yeah. rush helmet sucks. I, I agree. You guys could probably do... I don't know why you guys haven't done, like, the Orange Crush throwbacks. That's what I'm saying. That's that's 100% what I want to see. You know, even if you don't... Like, because you've got a, a lot of fans clamoring for a uniform change. And I think the Broncos are resistant because, like, they want to view their uniforms as one of those, like historical like classic uniforms but i don't i think it's time personally but a a way you could maybe appease those fans is like you said using that newfound freedom with the um you know different colored helmets and just bring back you know one alternate like the um buccaneers are doing with the cream uh, cream cycle uniforms or the dolphins dolphins Dolphins. look so good yeah 
It's true. Crispy, like almost better crispy, than their yeah. normal. Oh, for sure, but yeah, like crispy, crispy, crispy. Agreed, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally think that that would be a positive, and uh, yeah, I, they should just mandate it. Every team in the league, just do something, anything, anything. please. So, uh, but our next story here, or stories, I should say, uh, got a few players around the league not uh, ending up signing an extension uh, by the deadline there on Friday this week. And um, so they're going to end up playing on the franchise tag for the time being. So first of which is Jesse Bates of the Bengals, which we're going to talk about a little bit later today, um, but doesn't sign an extension. Uh, Obviously a well-deserved extension in my opinion, but uh, I'm interested to hear what you think, Enrique. Um, So I think Jesse Bates is a very good player. And I think, I think all these guys should get it back. But I just don't think it's a it, – I mean, it's just like what we talked about with Kyle Hamilton, right? And speaking of Kyle Hamilton, we'll talk about him later on as well. Um, but I just don't know that I would pay a safety. And, like, that's just my personal view on it, especially after drafting um, Daxon Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just – I don't know. I don't know that I would be uber ready to pay – uh, Jesse Bates, and even more so, I think the contract that the Bengals offered him um, was going to make him the third highest paid safety, highest paid safety, and I think that's a very, very, very good deal. You know, like if you're in the top five of uh, your position, mm-hmm. I think that that's a that's a good deal. Um, and so I'm not mad at Jesse Bates. I hope he goes somewhere and gets paid a lot of money. Um, and if he thinks he's the number one safety, then you got to go out there and play like number one safety. He goes out there, has another career year like he did last year. Um, you know, bets on himself, goes and gets a bigger contract, then amen. But on the other hand, if he doesn't, then he's going to have to take a lower deal somewhere else. So, Or go back to the Bengals, you know. And But, yeah, a lot of Bengals guys are, uh, are really doing for him to get paid. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he deserves it when you're talking about the type of person is in the locker room, the player, from what it sounds like. He's very well liked, like you said, among his teammates and, um, you know, somebody who's viewed as a leader in that locker room. Um, And so I I think he's got a lot of qualities you want to keep around. But you make a really good point when you talk about drafting Daxon Hill. Um, I think, you know, obviously Daxon Hill, you, you talk about the versatility that he brings to the table. Um, whether he can uh, be out there, you know, at corner, whether that's in the slot or maybe outside, we'll have to see. Um, but in, in at the safety spot as well, and he's very dynamic like that. Um, and so I, I do definitely see that viewpoint where maybe you're looking at the long-term uh, future of that position with Daxon Hill. I think I would be interested to see what the Bengals uh, coaching staff plans to do with Daxon Hill and uh, where exactly he's going to line up. Cause I do see a world where Jesse Bates stays as his safety self and Daxon Hill is more of a, you know, hybrid move around guy that uh, just does everything. Um, and they can kind of coexist as uh, potential stars on this defense. Obviously Jesse Bates already won and uh, Daxon Hill working his way and hopefully trying to be one. So uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I would love that though. I would love that, like, where they play off of each other like that. If the Bengals can do that, then do that. Because if, especially if Daxon Hill shows that he can be 
a high level corner, like sub corner and safety. Like if he can do it at, at a high level, do it for sure. But we're going to have to see how that works this one year. Cause if, I mean, they're going to pay Jesse Bates on the open market. Like they're going to pay that ass. So yeah. the Bengals have one year to really figure it out. Otherwise they're not going to have the opportunity. Um, yeah, because he's gonna get paid. Um, who's the Who's the next one? Our next guy is Mike Gesecki. Uh He didn't sign with the Dolphins, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, well deserving of an extension there at the tight end. You know, he's been uh, probably their best offensive weapon over there in Miami um, for what the last couple years now. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I can understand. I don't know that. I look at Gusecki as a top-end deal guy, but I can obviously understand uh, betting on yourself. And so we'll have to see what he does here, obviously with an upgraded roster, but a brand-new head coach um, to a, on a, uh, you know, make-it-or-break-it kind of year. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see what that does for Gusecki, and uh, maybe he ends up hitting the, the open market there. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I, I after you said the Tua uh, – was on like a make it or break it type of year. I like immediately thought, obviously, well, Gusecki is too. But like the whole Dolphins team is really, yeah. like they really, really are. Like everyone is kind of waiting in Miami to see how they're going to uh, play and how it's going to work out. Um, I think Gusecki is probably right now, I mean, he's definitely going to lose some targets to Tyreek Hill, but um yeah, I, I think when it comes to a pass catching tight end, I, I think Michael Seki is um I don't know, he, he's definitely up there. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind him on the Jets even in that role. Mm-hmm. But it just he doesn't really block that well. Yeah. Um, and if that's the role that you're gonna have, you have to be really, really dynamic in the other role. And I think I don't know. Where would you put him? Like I know that like Mark Andrews probably number one as far as just pure, like, receiver-esque almost moments. Yeah. I think Mark Andrews of the, the Ravens probably has, especially last year, it's crazy. Um, but Gusecki has his moments too, mm-hmm. like, especially out there in the open field. Like, dude is pretty nice, so I don't know. But, yeah, he's probably not going to be a Dolphin. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially you talk about that Tyreek Hill contract now eating up a lot of space on the offensive side and, Maybe they're not willing now to commit as much money. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, we'll just have to see how that ends up playing out. Obviously, uh, you know, he's going to get his on the open market. And I agree with you. Like, you know, you look at him as a all-around tight end. He does have those missing pieces with the uh, blocking side of things. And he is more on the receiver side. But he is a very good receiving tight end. Uh, Definitely probably, like, top five. Definitely top ten, but probably top five. Um, somewhere in there. So, I mean, I'm sure he's wanting that kind of money, and that's pretty fair. So we'll have to see how that plays out uh, over there in Miami throughout this year. And then Dalton Schultz of the Cowboys as well, another tight end. Kind of the same situation. I think uh, Schultz a little bit you know, further down the list for me, um, but he is a rising talent. And, um, yeah, over there in Dallas, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, I – I think, well, now that we talked about Gilsecki leaving, um, I think that it's probably more than likely that... Um, I, don't know. 
I think it's probably more than likely that um, Schultz will probably end up leaving as well. Um, so I, I think, truthfully, of all of all these guys, at least the ones that we've talked about so far, um, I think they're pretty much all, well, maybe Jesse Bates stays, but otherwise, he has the best chance of staying so far. Yeah. Otherwise, I think everyone's gone. I agree. I, like, Because if the Cowboys didn't give you no money right off the bat, then they're probably not going to give you no money. Or at least they are pretty set on what they want to pay you. And I think Dalton Schultz can make a fuck ton of money out on the open market. I, I heard the Jets were super interested in him. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of fans were clamoring for him. Um, and he's still, um, he's still like, learning, growing, and developing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's a guy that, on his next team, is probably going to go right into his prime. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's what you want when you're trying to, like, do the risk versus reward with free agency. You know, is you want guys on the upswing or you got you want guys that are at their peak right now you yeah. know like um you know like when you get those big um like the fucking Toronto uh Toronto Armstead going to the Dolphins uh, you know just different things like that so yeah um <clears throat> yeah I don't see any of these guys coming back though for sure no I I agree with you yeah Jesse Bates probably has the best chance uh but it just depends on how it all plays out and uh, like we said, that situation with Daxton Hill. Um, but, yeah, and then our very last one here, Orlando Brown Jr. of the Chiefs does not agree on extension and will play on the franchise tag. I found this one interesting. I, you know, I mean, obviously, Orlando Brown Jr. requesting quite a high contract. Uh, but I think the Chiefs trading for him and giving up a lot of capital uh, for him to come over from the Ravens in part of their new rebuilt offensive line over the last couple of years, um, you, you just naturally you expect him to be paid. You know, we'll just have to see how exactly that plays out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think from the Chiefs' perspective, obviously you've got a lot of different players, a lot of different stars you have to pay. You have Patrick Mahomes' contract, which although does it is kind of a value, it's still a big contract eating up some space there. Um, and yeah, we'll just have to see whether the Chiefs end up valuing Brown enough to uh, give him an extension uh, or walk, despite the uh, significant capital that they gave up to go get him. So, yeah, I I think they end up paying him. I I just think that this is like <clears throat> Loki. This is the guy I think that you have to figure out how to pay because what's the point of having, you know, Patrick Mahomes back there. if You can't protect him, you know? And that was literally the reason why they, you know, didn't win the Super Bowl was because, yeah. you know, he didn't have enough protection. He was just constantly getting harassed. Um, that's literally the reason why the Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl, you know? So yeah, it's, I don't, you can go back and forth with, to, and say which positions are more important, but a premier left tackle, like, um, is he the left tackle? Right tackle. Uh, I think left tackle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because his whole thing with the Ravens was that he wanted to play left tackle, and he played uh, when Ronnie Stanley was out at left tackle, but when Ronnie Stanley is there, they wanted him at left tackle. Oh, and so that's exactly. why, he, yeah, that's why he wanted to go to the Chiefs. So. Well, even more so. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah. I just think that, especially for a, a, a team that's 
constantly looking to get back into the Super Bowl, like the Chiefs, I, I think you figure out how to pay one of your guys. Yeah. And you didn't pay Tyreek Hill. So. And that was a, that was a big guy. I mean, a little guy, but a big guy. Yeah, it was a big guy, um, <laughs> money wise. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say you just got to figure this one out for sure. Um, and, but I would say he's actually taking the biggest risk too, because I think honestly. Um, he has the biggest injury risk of everyone because you know those offensive linemen just get like rolled up on it. That's like an every day. Yeah, dude, it's tough. So yeah, I don't know. Good luck to all those guys, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all kind of interesting situations in their own way. Um, and you know, there's obviously more situations uh, like that across the league, but these are certainly the biggest ones around. Um, you know, stars uh, that are, uh, you know, not quite agreeing on their with their team on their contract situation heading into the season here. So uh, with that, we will go ahead and start our breakdowns for this week. We are doing the AFC North, starting with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, first of all, the Bengals. Enrique, I'll hand it right off to you. Oh, awesome. Thank you, sir. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm legitimately super excited to do the Bengals. Um, obviously because, uh, their star quarterback, Joey B, but, um, starting off with their head coach, Zach Taylor. Um, Zach Taylor has been super nice as their head coach. I like low key was not expecting any of this, uh, from him at all. Yeah. Um, to, you know, obviously players play coaches coach, but he really has, uh, maximized, you know, all the skill sets of his players He's figured out uh, an offense to um, take advantage of three individual wide receivers that have three individual skill sets yeah. um, while still maximizing Joe Mixon, um, you know, while still, like, he just has implemented all this. And, I mean, you know, there's no um, – the, their defense isn't, you know, any, any slouch either, but – Going through the roster, I was I was actually low key amazed with how little I knew of the Bengals defense. So it, it, it was a cool team to go through. Um, but also, uh, they don't have a GM, um, but they have a, a director of player personnel, uh, Duke Tobin, that has helped uh, put the roster together. Um, that had gotten the Bengals to last year's Super Bowl. Um, this year's draft class. Uh, in the first round, and I actually was telling Ryan this, um, I didn't know that they took Daxton Hill. I totally spaced it out. And so seeing that the Bengals took Daxton Hill at 31, uh, safety slash corner hybrid uh, out of Michigan really, really uh, got me excited. Uh, in the second round, uh, pick 60, they took Cam Taylor Britt, a corner out of Nebraska. Uh, third round, uh, pick 95, they took Zachary Carter, a defensive tackle out of Florida. In the fourth round, pick 136, they took Cordell Volson, offensive lineman, North Dakota State. Fifth round, they took Tyson Anderson, a safety out of Toledo. And then with their last pick, they took Jeffrey Gunter, a defensive end out of Coastal Carolina. And I, I really do think that the Bengals um, – address needs in this year's draft class that were fairly obvious. You know, um, I, I thought that 
And I still think that the the weakest position group on this uh, team is probably their uh, corners. Um, and so to get a, a guy in the second round uh, and Taylor Britt out of Nebraska, uh, I think is a great move. And then Daxton Hill offers you a lot of versatility, like we had said earlier, um, being able to play uh, on the inside there and then get back out and play some safety as well. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, throwing an offensive lineman in there. can never have too many offensive linemen. You could always have one developing. And Cincinnati's, um, I mean, they have a pretty nice offensive line group now to kind of develop some guys um, in there. So, and then just adding a safety and a defensive end. I'm not sure exactly if the their uh, seventh round draft pick will uh, make the roster, but ultimately, I guess we'll see. Um, and then, I guess getting right into the roster, um, obviously, the quarterback, starting quarterback Joe Burrow, back backing him up is probably going to be Brandon Allen. Um, but more than likely, because the Bengals still have two more roster spots on their 90-man roster right now that they can add. They So that they might add two more quarterbacks. Um, ultimately, you just you don't have to worry about who's backing up that guy. Yeah. Joe, Joey B is going to be uh, killing it this year. I'm really excited to see how the Bengals do. Um, and then in the running back room, and more than likely, uh, Trayvon Williams, the guy at the end here, is probably not going to make the team. Uh, just because they have so many wide receivers, um, so. But uh, the starters obviously going to be Joe Mixon and then uh, Samaji Samaj. What? What do you? Samaje Piro. Samaje Samaje Piro. It's a weird name, but it's kind of cool. I I got the Piran. I knew Piran because the Jets had had a Piran. Uh, but Shamaje, yeah, Chris Evans, Trayvon Williams, um, and like I said, Trayvon might not make the team. Um, get into the wide receiver room. You got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, which is crazy. Like the fact that the Bengals have all three of those guys is still crazy to me because they like could just at any moment like any of those guys could go off. Yeah, they're just all so good. Um, and then they got Mike Thomas, Stanley Morgan Jr., Trent Taylor. Uh, tight end room, we got Hayden Hurst, which is a nice pickup, um, replacing C.J. Uzama, you know. Uh, Drew Sample and Mitchell Wilcox. Uh, offensive line, they got Linnell Collins, uh, pickup um, from free agency this year, which is, I love that move uh, for sure. Uh, that's how you really go and like make aggressive moves for, um, you know, offensive line men help. And when he's healthy, um, he's... He's pretty decent, you know. Um, Jonah Williams, Alex Kappa, uh, Ted Cars, uh, Jackson Carma, Carmen, uh, Deonta Smith, Cordell Volson, Trey Hill, and Isaiah Prince round out that room. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think all in all, the offensive line group could be a little bit better, but, I mean, I think Linnell Collins uh, and Alex Kappa – uh, Jonah Williams. Um, Jonah Williams was what their first round pick last year. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So if if he could develop a little bit, that would be nice. Uh, on the defensive line, they got uh, Trey Hendrickson, who was a stud last year, 
absolute difference maker in the playoffs. It was super cool to watch him play. Yeah. Um, Sam, Hub- Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, Joseph Osai, Khalid Kareem, Josh Tupau, Zach Carter, Cam Sample, and Tyler Shelvin. Um, so yeah, a ton of depth, a ton of depth on the defensive line. Um, obviously led by Trey Hendrickson. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm really uh, excited to see if he has another career year with the Bengals, because then, because it just sometimes like you don't know if a guy is going to be like kind of like one and done right. or just not have um just that big of an impact going forward um just because i mean where did he play before he went to the Bengals? i, I almost want to say the raiders but i can't was it new orleans it might have been new orleans i think you're actually right i think it might have been new orleans i can't totally yeah. remember well, I just – I can't say that I just remember him, like, super going off with New Orleans. I think it was kind of like a low-key free agency thing. Or yeah. Fucking Trey Hendrickson. Yeah, no, I definitely – I that's the funny thing is I can't remember the team. I'm trying to look it up. But, uh, yes, you were right. It was the Saints. But I do remember when he was a free agent, I remember the whole process of it, like him being kind of a – like boomer bust free agent signing where he was on the climb, but he was kind of giving shaky production. So he could flame out with his new team or he could do some good stuff. And it seems like he started to do some good stuff. And like you said, uh, hopefully he can give us a repeat season of it and, uh, you know, make sure it's not a fluke. And then I think at that point you start to talk about him as a, like a name. Um, I think he really came on in those playoffs last year like obviously last year with the Bengals in general, but especially in the playoffs, like you said, he's just playing out of his mind. Um, and so, yeah, we'll just have to see how the legend of Trey Hendrickson grows from here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very well put, very well put. Um, so get into the linebacking group. Uh, you got Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, Akeem Davis, Gave Gather, Marcus Bailey, and Joe Bashi. And then their cornerbacks are going to be Shido. Oh, wait. Actually, you know how to say this one really good. Oh, yeah. Chidobe Awuzie. That's, yeah. that's a weird one, too. Yeah, I'm good on that name. I'm so <laughs> good on that name. Uh, Mike Hilton, Eli Apple, the legendary Eli Apple, Cam Taylor-Britt, Trey Flowers, and Jalen Davis. And then... Um, their safety room is probably their strongest. Um, safety room is so nice right now. Led by Jesse Bates III, Von Bell, Dax Hill, Brandon Wilson, and Tyson Anderson. Oof. Yeah, like that's that's a very deep safety uh, safety room right there. Because, um, I mean, Von Bell's no joke either. Von Bell's a pretty decent safety himself. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's – uh, they – there's very random spots on the Bengals' defense that's, like, I think their defensive line's really good. I think they have a lot of depth on it. But there's, like, very random spots of, like, very good depth players. And there's a few spots where there's just, like, a few guys that, like, really lead the way. And mm. all three of those guys, especially 
depending on how Daxton Hill plays out, all three of those guys back there in the safety could be like on the field at the same time. Yeah. Very much contributing to, uh, and that that makes it even crazier to be in the AFC North. Yeah. Because like you look at what the Ravens have mm-hmm. in their secondary, that's that that is crazy. Yeah. It's there's a there's a, a lot of riches in the AFC North. It's definitely going to be one of the most competitive divisions, for sure. Um, and then just a few storylines on the roster and on the team altogether. Um, like we were saying earlier, Je- uh, Jesse Bates did not come to an agreement um, with the Bengals before the franchise tag deadline, um, and that's you know based off of um, reports that there was a contract offer that was going to make him the third highest paid safety, um, which is a pretty decent deal. Um, but they just could not agree to anything. So he's going to play this year on the franchise tag. Um, and then I think, well, something that I want to ask you is what do you think a realistic expectation for the team this year is? Because obviously you get, you get to the Super Bowl last year, mm-hmm. can't get to the Super Bowl every year. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that the Bengals um, can't make it there. Um, I have them winning a lot of games once once we look at the schedule. But it is a tough schedule, and if I'm being honest with you, it's very, it's very shaky. Like, mm. there's a lot of like weird traveling situations, at least mm. in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, what what is your realistic expectation for the Bengals this year? Yeah, I mean. I think in a perfect world, obviously, you come off the Super Bowl and you want to make it back there, like you said, but sometimes it doesn't necessarily work that way. I think, you know, when you look at this roster, for sure you've got the talent that you could potentially do that. Um, it just depends on throughout the season, like you said, going through those games um, and then whether you can stay healthy throughout that season, uh, whether you have enough depth to survive that, where you get hit, you know, if you have another injury to Joe Burrow. Um, which, granted, like you just went through this offensive line, looks improved, well improved, especially with the addition of Leo Collins and um, Alex Kappa and Ted Harris too. But it's still could uh, – there's a couple cracks, you know what I mean? It was still some improvement to be had. So if you do have an injury to uh, Joe Burrow, you know, that that's going to shut you down. It just depends. Um but, oh yeah, I well, I guess you could say that with a lot of teams, right? Well, yeah, I guess you could say that with any team, but it's just like at the end of the day, it's you know, but for you sure, have the roster. Yeah, can it survive the season, especially with your opponents, which we'll go into later? But yeah, I think they have the the roster here to to repeat if everything goes well. Yeah. Um, now speaking of Joe Burrow, um, I was thinking about it earlier. And I was thinking about how much pressure Joey B has to be under to like show out this year, right? Yeah. And I was thinking of other guys that are in in that scenario as well. Mm-hmm. You have like you like arguably you could say like Russell Wilson, you know, getting traded to the Broncos probably wants to show out. Um, Lamar Jackson playing on playing for a contract mm-hmm. probably wants to show out. Um, I guess you have like Tom Brady. Right, but I would have to say, like, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is. I I, I think Mahomes is um, expected to be into the playoffs, 
but I don't think he's under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, same thing with Josh Allen. I don't feel like they're under some sort of like hot seat. Mm-hmm. I, I I really do think that Joe Burrow has to be uh, on the top of the list there of guys that are on a big hot seat this year. Not necessarily for like a job or anything like that, but mm-hmm. expectation wise, uh, I think Joe Burrow has probably got to be feeling some pressure going into this year, um, especially after taking them to the Super Bowl. Um, and yeah, what do you what do you think about that? What do you think uh, about the expectations of Joe Burrow this year? Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, I think when you talk about Joe Burrow, you view him like there's this kind of personality, like media personality of like he's just champion. He's like this like because right. he comes off the LSU championship um, in what 2019. Uh, and then comes into the NFL, and he, you kind of forget that uh, I think what his first two years he really did struggle. Granted, he looked good. Like if you actually watched the games, he looked good. But that Bengals team struggled. I think a lot of people wrote Joe Burrow off. I think a lot of people wrote Zach Taylor off as a coach. Um, and now you have this this singular year. So it's like there's a there's a um, way that you can criticize that and say yes there's this singular year of production now can they repeat it and then i think that's where the pressure comes in is like joe burrow although he's had this history of success so i think from one viewpoint it's like this uh, sustained thing right. and he just had a couple down years i think there is an angle where it's like now you got to prove it again that you can actually go do that and get to the super bowl yeah you know well and especially against Teams that like consistently could do that, like right. the Chiefs, and now they know that. you can do that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now it's like, yeah, exactly because last year and like everyone, like that's one thing that cracks me up is everyone's trying to be this year's Bengals, right? And I'm like, and I get that, but the Bengals had a good team. Yeah, like they had a good team. Mm-hmm. They got hot. They did their thing, and kudos to them. But um, this year, people know about the Bengals, and like Jamar Chase was a rookie. Jamar Chase isn't a rookie. So they have a whole year of film on, you know, the Bengals and Jamar Chase that they didn't have beforehand. No one knew Jamar Chase was going to show out. Like, like there's literally training camp reports of Jamar, Ch- uh, Jamar Chase dropping balls. You know what I mean? Which, yeah. granted, I guess he was dropping some balls, but he wasn't dropping them balls in the regular season. I, maybe like, he's like a Gronk where he just, like, doesn't give a shit in the off season, And then as soon as the season stuff. starts, he's like lights out i do i love and hate that stuff because it, it like it is hilarious but it's also right. like you know i I'm, I'm a big fan of hard work but if right. you can just get off the couch and like, uh, yeah, exactly like that's what i'm saying it's like you were just truly destined to be a good ass football player yeah. at that point because like uh chad ojasinko always talks about like eating mcdonald's all the time yeah and going out there and tearing it up he and, still defends that shit oh to dude, this day dude he's the, he's the goat he's <laughs> yeah the goat. And he was showing mad love to um, he was showing mad love to Dural Rivas. So oh nice yeah I, I'm telling you I think low key because I mean the Jets and Chadwick Sosinka on the Bengals we had some we had some hella matchups yeah we had some matchups back in the day so uh, especially like in the playoffs like I remember watching the Bengals uh, and the Jets game myself like yeah it was it was it was fun for sure um, and then uh, I wanted to ask you as well. What do you think the uh, 
Uh, my my vote on the biggest weakness on the roster was corner. Do you see any other uh, position group that could be um, counted as the biggest weakness on the roster? I think. Well, I think you're totally right in the sense that corner is what came up in the Super Bowl last year is the weakness. You know, obviously that uh, room has shifted around a little bit throughout this off season, um, but I think that they're kind of still in that spot. And it's almost only because the rest of the roster is so solid. You know what I mean? And then I think, you know, maybe the other competitor would have been the offensive line. But granted, like we said, it still has some improvements to be made. But I really do think it looks a lot more solid, at least on paper, uh, with their offseason additions here. And so we'll have to see how that plays out throughout the season. But, um, yeah, I think cornerback is a a reasonable pick. Yeah, I I, I agree, I agree. Um, all right, so get into the schedule. Week one versus Pittsburgh. Week two versus Dallas. I have them winning both those games. Both those games. Um, the Dallas game is in Texas, and I think that's going to be a pretty, pretty, pretty big game. Um, week three, they go to New York and play uh, my Jets. Um and I think I think the Bengals probably, unfortunately, probably win. Um, but I think we won. We did beat them last year. Mm-hmm. But I'm counting on them go, coming into this, come uh, beating a uh, uh, Dallas team on the road. Um, and I think that they're just a really good team. You know, Jets have a lot of young players that we'll have to see. But I think we'll give them a fight. Uh, then they get Miami at home. Then they go to Baltimore, to New Orleans, both really tough home games, uh, or away games. And then they get Atlanta back at home, go to Cleveland. Then they play Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers. Hmm. Uh, I have them winning literally all those games. That's week four, five, six, seven, and eight and nine. The only game I have them losing is the Baltimore game. And the reason why I have them losing that Baltimore game is because one, it's in Baltimore, and I think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens play really tough at home. Um, and I just like I, I see more gaps in all the other teams. Um, I don't think by the time I mean I guess it just depends if it goes the way I would hope. Um, the Browns won't have Deshaun Watson. Um, I mean, I, um, we would have to see how good Baker Mayfield is playing with the Panthers. I think that could be a legit thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Baker Mayfield couldn't beat the Bengals. Um, I just there's just more ways for the Bengals to beat all these other teams, and I think the Ravens, especially at home, I, I think that's where the split is. I think the Bengals will take theirs at home, obviously. Um, but then in Week Ten they get their bye, um, and then they go and play Pittsburgh. I think they're probably going to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee uh, at Tennessee, which I think is a big game because now we're starting to get later into the season, and we're just, and now we're starting to face real tough teams now. Okay, and um, Tennessee, especially at Week Twelve, they're probably pushing for the playoffs. You know, so they're in a stretch too. They're like dug in. Yeah. Uh, Derrick Henry's probably playing his best right now. So yeah, you're gonna and then you're playing them at home. It's, that's a big game. And mm-hmm. you know, you took them out of the playoffs last year. Yeah. So this is that revenge game. You got grudge. You know, so it, I think that's a huge game. And then they get 
uh, Kansas City at home. Mm. So even though it's going to be in Ohio, um, it's still Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. You still have to play them. And just like we talked about with um, the Titans, if you have to play these big boy teams later in the year, like they're just going to be coming for your head for sure. And Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs are definitely going to want to um, definitely want to show that they can be, you know, the Bills and all these other um, big time AFC teams. Like these are the big prime time matchups. The mm-hmm. you know big time quarterbacks, big time offenses, big time teams, and yeah, these are the games that you have to win. Um, so, but I do have them losing against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting Cleveland, I have them winning. Um, week 15, they go to Tampa Bay and play the Buccaneers. I have this um, marked as a big game as well, just because, honestly, I just don't see – I don't see how you go to Tampa Bay in week 15 mm-hmm. and take out Tom Brady. I just think that the Bucks are going to be running on – you know, all cylinders. All, all cylinders at that point. And, like, if you can, then more power to you because that could be a potential Super Bowl matchup. True. But I think it's going to be really, really tough to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I have the Bucks taking that game, but I think that's a big game. And that can, honestly, if that if they are able to take uh, the Bucks out, that could really light a fire underneath the team. And mm-hmm. I could see them um, running the gauntlet. Um, I do have them uh, going to New England and winning, um, mm-hmm. but that's also a tough game depending on how Mac Jones is going to come out this year. Yeah. Um, you know, this is his first, um, well, obviously yeah, his rookie year last year, but, you know, so his second year. Um, and Mac Jones wasn't half bad his rookie year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so a whole other year to, to get the offense. This is at home, and it's already most of the way through the season. There's only a few games left. So, yeah, it, it could be a tough game for sure, but uh, I have uh, the Bengals winning. And then week 17, they go and play Buffalo. Um, I have them losing. It's going to be in Buffalo. Oh, no, it's going to be in Ohio. I'm sorry. Um, so, but still, Josh Allen, week 17. I think that's a tough, I think that's a tough matchup. Yeah. Um, and then week 18, they have to play Baltimore. Um, I think if they play them at home, they'll win. I think they're playing in Baltimore. They'll probably lose. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. So I have them going thirteen and four. Um, you know, depending on how some of those bigger games sway, I can see it. You know, dipping down a little bit. But ultimately, I, I think that the Bengals are well equipped to take care of, or at least have a decent uh, chance of beating all these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the bigger teams like. Tampa Bay, Kansas City, um, you know, they could lose to, I mean, honestly, they could lose to Tennessee, um, depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. You know, if he gets a six-game suspension, they play them week eight in Cleveland. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Dallas right away, mm. you know, week two. Uh, the biggest thing that I wanted to point out um, on the schedule that – is crazy to me, and maybe I just was like noticing it only with the Bengals, but the way they play like one game, then two games at home, then two games away. Yeah. Is it usually set up that way? I, I thought I've seen like 
three or four like away games in a row or home games in a row. I I just never seen it like jump back and forth as much. Yeah, no, I think it's usually a little more mixed, but I think they try to keep it like I I know they try to like limit how long those stretches are right. of like because you don't want a team going on like a five game right. uh, away streak or whatever. Um, I think sometimes it happens, but they like try to limit it. You know, right. but I, I think it's a little more uh, random usually. I I did notice that too. It's like kind of uniform. Yeah, like yeah, that's why two I here, two away. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, I don't know how um, how you get into. Well, I guess you just play two away and two at home, two away, two at home. But I just feel like that would be crazy exhausting after a while. Yeah, probably. I think yeah, I think it would get especially the two away games back to back. If you're going from like here to here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then you have to go back home. Right. Yeah, that's that's tough. But um, yeah, what do you think about the schedule? Um, what do you what do you think about uh, my prediction there? Yeah, I mean, I think thirteen and four is pretty reasonable, especially you consider their success last year. I think they added in a lot of places on the roster as you went through, um, and I think they look on paper uh, like again, like other than injury. Or just some something weird. I don't see why they're not a contending uh, option in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, I think their biggest issue coming into this year is that the AFC looks a lot tougher. You had a lot of teams get stronger. You talk about the Broncos are hopefully now going to be a uh, you know competitor somewhere in the mix. There, um, a lot of teams added and, and um, have strengthened themselves. So. The AFC is just going to be an absolute bloodbath. I mean, you talk about the Jets could be a factor. Um, any of those AFC East teams, honestly, just depending on which ones come out this year. Um, you know, like, I think the NFC, not to say the NFC is weak, but there's a clear power shift right now into the AFC. So that's that's the Bengals' biggest threat, in my opinion, is just the overall strength of the AFC. Yeah, I agree. Well, and especially... Like, when you talk about, like, young, prime quarterbacks. Like yes. In the AFC, it's a fucking – it's so crazy. It's actually so crazy. Justin Herbert and the Chargers coming on, too. Like Derek Carr. Derek Carr? Like – and many. then just right in your division, you have Lamar Jackson. Exactly. It's Lamar really, Jackson. It's really, really tough. Small hands, Kenny Pickett. Small hands, Kenny Pickett. <laughs> Dude, I love – I do love like the recurring theme of every time Kenny Pickett gets brought up. <laughs> Eventually, well, I'm sure for Steelers fans, it's already gotten old, but it hasn't gotten old for me. So, oh, it will never get old for me. They'll be forever. Like it'll be a forever thing. Yeah. Small, okay. hands, small hands, Kenny Pickett is love it. Just it, it is his name. It. Just, yeah, it is what it is. It's yeah. It's just every you know. There, it's in quotes around his head. Small hands. Small hands. <laughs> Wonder, Anyways, right. I wonder what that um, what is it? Uh, small hands? S H K P S H K P S H K P. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna be the hashtag. Exactly. Um, but you want to uh, get into the Baltimore Ravens, there? One hundred percent. Yeah. So for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, obviously you talk about uh, you know their GM Eric DaCosta. Uh, and then their head coach uh, in Harbaugh. And, like, both of those guys have a track record there. 
uh, of, I don't want to say sustained excellence, but sustained quality. You know and I mean? I think that year in and year out, you look at um, Eric DaCosta after uh, getting the reins there in Baltimore, um, you know, from Ozzie Newsom, who uh, was the longtime GM there and a great drafter. I think Eric DaCosta has done a, a great job filling in there. Um, and so Raven fans are perfectly happy with him at the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, everybody's been happy with Harbaugh as well. And you talk about the rise of Lamar Jackson and how they've uh, catered to him. Um, so not a whole lot to complain about uh, with the staff there. Um, but we can jump right into their draft class, starting off with Kyle Hamilton, their first round draft pick at number 14. Uh, you know, the safety there out of Notre Dame. Uh, obviously very excited for him and I think it was a pick that um, you know Raven fans I guess weren't necessarily sure what to expect we had some needs coming into the draft um, and especially you look at defensive tackle and they wanted Travis Jones uh, and among a few other players and um, you know they did end up going with Kyle Hamilton there out of Notre Dame uh, a very dynamic safety uh, a great athlete and uh, somebody who can kind of play a hybrid role potentially. Um, and we'll just have to see, uh, you know, what this coaching staff can do with them. Obviously, I mean, you talk about Kyle Hamilton coming into the draft as kind of just like a, a defensive weapon to be molded. I mean, there's a few teams that you think of that would be the perfect spot. And I think the Ravens are pretty much one of them. Um, and I, just because of their have like history of developing defensive players, especially with defensive backs, um, they've historically had a uh, very good defensive backfield. So uh, definitely a great pick there. And then their second pick is uh, in the first round as well. Number 25, Tyler Linderbaum, a center out of Iowa. Uh, I absolutely love this pick. The Ravens move back into the uh, first round to go get him. And because, uh, you know, as a center, he we weren't necessarily sure where he was going to go. Um, they don't necessarily always get into like the top half of the first round. Um, and even in, you talk about Tyler Lindebaum, uh, not necessarily say a generational talent, but he's been well touted throughout his uh, young career so far um, and looks to be uh, somebody who's going to be the future of the Ravens uh, center spot after losing uh, Bradley Bozeman, who will uh, talk about a little bit later here. Um, and then the next pick, round two, number 45 overall, David Ojabo, uh, outside linebacker out of Michigan. Uh, you know, Ojabo talked about as a first-rounder potentially, but then he had that uh, really unfortunate Achilles injury uh, training for the draft, uh, and it just uh, plummeted his draft stock. Um, you know, honestly, I'm glad he didn't drop any further. I wasn't really sure where he was going to end up going, um, but it, it was pretty rough to see him uh, drop like that. And you can understand it with an Achilles injury. It's, you know, not a not nothing. Um, but he really is a talent, so I'm glad that the Ravens were able to get a uh, nice value there at 45 overall. Uh, the next pick, uh, and then uh, we did talk about Travis Jones. So uh, round three, number 76 overall, Travis Jones, defensive tackle out of Connecticut. Um, you know, or UConn, I should say. Uh, great player, strong guy. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there was some first-round talents that the Ravens were uh, vying for, but they did end up going Kyle Hamilton. 
um, but they get Travis Jones uh, as a, a nice bonus in the third round. And I think he's going to be a solid player, um, like we said, especially with the Ravens' history of developing defensive players, especially off the defensive line as well. Their next pick, round four, 110 overall. Uh, Daniel Falale, an offensive tackle out of Minnesota, uh, a like guy that needs to develop and a large you know, offensive tackle, really big guy, um, doesn't necessarily have a ton of agility for the position, um, but he could be a uh, solid run-blocking tackle as well. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, he's going to be a really solid piece for the Ravens to move around. Maybe not necessarily immediately a, like, like solid starter, but I think he'll find his uh, situational snaps. And then uh, their next pick there, round four, number 119 overall, Jalen Armour Davis, a cornerback out of Alabama. Uh, you know, an exciting option, especially as you talk about uh, some of the departures that they had this offseason, uh, you know, some replenishment to that cornerback room uh, out of Bama. Can't complain about it. I mean, I can as an Auburn fan, but, you know, he's probably going to be solid. Round four, number 128 overall, Charlie Kohler, uh, tight end out of Iowa State. Uh, really like this pick. Uh, you know, obviously the more offensive threats we can get, uh, the better, especially at tight end. We all know Lamar Jackson loves to throw to them. Um, and so, you know, got to love it there. He's a big target. Um, and uh, I think especially behind Mark Andrews, he can certainly develop into something. Next pick, round four, one, uh, number 130 overall, Jordan Stout, a punter out of Penn State. Uh, pretty high to draft punter, but uh, clearly they believe in him coming out of Penn State there. Um, so, you know, I mean, we'll see. He appears to be the Ravens' punter of the future. Next one, another tight end, round four, 139 overall. Isaiah Likely, tight end out of Coastal Carolina. And uh, I, I was on draft day a little confused at first about this pick, especially as you talk about the uh, draft or draft the um, – will draft a trade of Marquise Brown to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and so, you know, a lot of fans were looking for the uh, Ravens to replenish that wide receiver room after, you know, losing your number one wide receiver with not a whole lot behind it in terms of at least veteran presence. Um, uh, but so when they pick a second tight end in the draft, I think a lot of Ravens fans kind of put their hands up and they're like, huh? But Looking more closely at Isaiah Likely, um, he's an interesting option. He's a little bit of a smaller receiving tight end. He's not much of a blocker, but he is a, a nice receiving threat. And I do think that potentially he could be an option to even put out wide um, in more of an almost wide receiver role, especially when you talk about now the um, riches that you have at that tight end position. I must wonder if that's the vision that they have for him. Um, just because I don't view, because of his size, I don't view uh, blocking as a part of his game that they would even bother trying to like. Right. It's just like, why? Why do you, like, maybe get a baseline level of okay blocking, um, but he's he's not going to be a blocking tight end, so you might as well play to his strength, right. especially when you don't have a lot of wide receivers, uh, which we'll go into later. But, yeah, an interesting pick there. We'll have to see how that actually folds out. Next one, round four. By the way, the Ravens had like four or five round, uh, four or five fourth round picks. It's ridiculous. 
I think six. <laughs> it's like absurd. Dang. But their uh, last fourth round pick, 141 overall, Demarion Williams, cornerback out of Houston. Um, yeah, obviously, again, had some departures in that cornerback room. Uh, glad to get some more depth in there and probably a special teams guy to start as well. Round six, number 196 overall, Tyler Beatty, uh, running back out of Missouri. Um, an interesting guy here, uh, a little bit smaller and uh, has some receiving threats. So uh, could be, uh, you know, kind of a situational guy there and work his way up. And uh, yeah, so that does it for the Ravens draft class. And then now we can run through their key departures real fast. So uh, quite a few throughout here. We talked about Bradley Bozeman, the center, played 90% of the snaps for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Brandon Williams, an inside defensive lineman, uh, played 41%. Sammy Watkins, a uh, wide receiver who was only here for that year, uh, played 36%. Anthony Averett, cornerback, played 74%. Tavon Young, another cornerback, played 50% of the snaps. Marquise Brown, like we said, traded to uh, Arizona. He played 74% of the snaps for the Ravens and was their number one wide receiver. Jimmy Smith, the longtime Raven, uh, out of Colorado University as well, uh, 27% of the snaps, and uh, they let him go this offseason. Chris Board, a linebacker, 30%. Pernell McPhee, an edge, 21%. Uh, and you talk about the free agent running backs we brought in last year because of all the injuries that they suffered. Uh, Latavius Murray, who played uh, 30%, and then Devonta Freeman, who played 42%. Uh, and then Eric Tomlinson, who went over to the Broncos, their blocking tight end there, uh, 25% of the snaps. And finally, Deshaun Elliott, a safety, played 28%. So, uh, yeah, some some names in there, for sure. Um, they did, as we'll go through their roster, they did replenish some of that. Obviously, you talk about the draft and then in some free agency moves as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, with their roster... We can go ahead and head through that here, starting with the quarterback, of course, Lamar Jackson. Uh, obviously, had to wear my Lamar Jackson jersey as we're recording this, just for the good Ravens vibes. Um, but behind him, Tyler Huntley, uh, who has proven himself to be uh, more than capable as a backup and uh, will probably not be on this Ravens team after this year and get an opportunity for some quarterback-hungry team. Um, behind them, Brett Hundley and then Anthony Brown. And at running back, uh, you're looking at J.K. Dobbins, obviously out of Ohio State there, uh, solid product, uh, and excited to get more snaps out of him after he missed uh, almost, I think, if not almost the entire year, I think the entire year. Um, and then Gus Edwards, along with him, uh, missed just about as much time. Um, you know, the Gus bus, uh, gotta love him. And then they brought in Mike Davis as well from Atlanta, which – uh, we talked about this move on the show, and I, I really did like it because I think that, you know, especially you talk about the injuries from last year and both those guys going down, um, you want to do whatever you can to avoid that situation again. So bring in a solid veteran that you can uh, split the carries with even more and just keep everybody fresh. I think Mike Davis has proven himself to uh, be a solid threat. Um, and then you talk about Tyler Beatty, too, as a, a – you know, receiving back, and they still even have Justice Hill floating around on this Jeez. roster. Like, I think one of those guys probably is gonna get cut and get uh, uh end up elsewhere just because of uh, you know got to cut down the roster. Right. Uh, but you know, they got their uh, pick of the choosing. So uh, at 
tight end, Mark Andrews, obviously we talked about him, one of the best tight ends in the league receiving-wise um, and a huge threat with Lamar Jackson, their quarterback. Behind him, Nick Boyle, uh, you know, kind of a all-arounder option a little bit. And then Charlie Kohler and Isaiah Likely, your draft picks uh, that we talked about a little earlier. Um, and, yeah, I'll be interested to see what those guys can develop into. I think very quickly if Charlie Kohler can um, show uh, what he showed in college and uh, make the leap to the next level, uh, he'll probably overtake Nick Boyle for that uh, second tight end spot. And then I could very quickly see Isaiah likely making an impact if he's uh, refined enough on that receiving end. At a uh, wide receiver, you were looking at – so this is where it gets a little sketch. I'm not going to lie to you. The first wide receiver we're looking at is Rashad Bateman, uh, obviously the first rounder last year in the 2021 draft. Um, you know, hopeful for him. He uh, showed some good things last year um, in a secondary role to Hollywood Brown. And, um, you know, he's definitely going to have to make a leap here as the new number one wide receiver. So he'll have to replace those uh, catches that Hollywood Brown had. And, uh, yeah, I mean, with that moving on in the wide receiver room, you're looking at for your number two wide receiver, uh, Devin Duvernay, uh, third round pick in 2020. Behind him, uh, you know, you're looking at like James Prochet, the second, uh, sixth round pick out of 2020. Um, you know, looking real, real light in that wide receiver room. Keep going throughout here. You have Tylen Wallace, Jalen Moore, uh, Benjamin Victor, and then a bunch of undrafted free agents that you brought in. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough room. Um, you obviously you're looking for Rashad Bateman to make that jump, but that's not guaranteed. And uh, he didn't prove that he was uh, necessarily ready for that level of production last year, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think he was on the up and up, and you hope that that's what he can do. But I don't feel confident in that going into the season. So we will have to see how that situation plays out. But with that, we can move on to our offensive line here. Left tackle, you're looking to get Ronnie Stanley back from injury after missing the majority of last year. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, your big money, big tackle. Um, you let Orlando Brown go because Ronnie Stanley was your left tackle there. Um, and, yeah, he's been really solid when he's on the field. Left guard, you're looking at Tyre Phillips. And then center, the presumed starter is your uh, first-round rookie, Tyler Linderbaum. Out of Iowa, we talked about him. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, provided he is what he's advertised, he appears to be basically a, you know, hopeful 10-year starter at the position and a uh, really solid option for the center uh, for the Ravens. So we will have to see. Right guard, you have Kevin Zeitler still been solid enough at that right guard spot. And then uh, at right tackle, you bring in Morgan Moses from the Jets. Uh, you know, I think we talked about this throughout the offseason, Enrique, but, you know, I think this was a solid move for the Ravens, just a, a nice veteran to bring into that right tackle spot. Yeah, I agree. Morgan Moses is a he, – he, he really did play outstanding for the Jets last year, and um, I was sad to see him go. And, um, yeah, I think he's going to bring great te- great things to the roster. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the, at the very least, he just gives you an option – uh, to have like a, a very established uh, offensive line presence, you know. So I thought it was a good move for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and then behind him, you know, the nice thing is you do have some depth options on this offensive line. 
uh, you know, you talk about Daniel Falale at right tackle, your uh, rookie there. You know, I mean, like I said, I think that he could even potentially find his situational snaps this year. I don't think he's going to be your starter of this year. I think that's why you brought in Oregon Moses um, to be that guy for you. And then if Daniel Falale turns in that guy, then he does. If not, then you'll uh, be looking next year. Um, but behind him, they also brought in Juwan James from the Broncos, who, uh, well, he was a free agent, but was last of the Broncos and uh, did not play a whole lot of snaps for the Denver Broncos. Um, he was struggling with injury, and then he also uh, opted out for the COVID year and uh, just did not end up working out for the Broncos, let him go, and now he finds a spot on this Ravens roster as uh, a really solid depth option if you suffer injuries. Uh, on either side of the uh, tackle spot there, so solid overall when you come or when you're looking at that offensive line, you have solid depth, um, and you know this offense overall. You have the running game, you have the quarterback. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is a better passer than people give him credit for, but I think especially this year we're probably not going to see that uh, narrative relieved because he has no wide receivers. Um, so they're probably going to be as run-heavy as ever. You talk about like that 2019 season, they're breaking running records. If they can get things running on uh, all cylinders, I think that's going to be the direction that this team takes this year. Um, unless they add somebody in camp veteran. I mean, regardless of how the offensive uh, offense looks like, I would like them to add a veteran wide receiver. I just think you need that. Because like you're looking at Devin Duvernay as your – Long-standing guy. Right. Like, you're just that's that's not okay, Ravens. That's the one huge gaping hole on this uh, entire roster, but especially the offense. Um, and then I did almost skip over, can't forget, got to pay some love to the fullbacks. Patrick Card, arguably the best fullback in the entire league, uh, you know, signed an extension with the Ravens, got to love him, and a legit weapon for the Ravens, so – uh, you know, can't leave him out. And then, so moving on to that defensive side, we look at the safety spot. Uh, you bring in Marcus Williams from New Orleans, really solid there. Um, and I mean, really not even much to say there. I think, you know, Marcus Williams, a respected veteran at this point in the league and uh, expected to bring in a solid presence for the Ravens and be a very Ravens-esque safety um, you know, behind him, you're looking at Geno Stone and Ardarius Washington. And then when you look at your strong safety spot, still have Chuck Clarks, uh, you know, hanging around there doing solid things. Behind him, your uh, first round rookie, your first first round rookie, Kyle Hamilton um, out of Notre Dame. You know, we'll have to see how much of an impact he makes year one and exactly how he's used year one. Um, I think right now you have those safeties, uh, safety spots taken up by established veterans, um, established at least in terms of their, you know, being a starter in the league. Obviously, Marcus Williams this is his uh, first year with the team. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Maybe even Marcus Williams. I mean, I think you can't not use Marcus Williams as a just a field-free safety because yeah. he's so good at specifically that. So I think if anybody's going to move around, it's going to be Kyle Hamilton. So yeah. we will see what – role he ends up playing but i i would have to imagine he's probably going to get some sort of snaps this year and then behind him you still have tony jefferson hanging around as your third strong safety like it was a very rich safety room uh for sure for the ravens 
when you look at their cornerbacks, uh, obviously you are looking at Marlon Humphrey, uh, you know, super solid option there, uh, homegrown talent. And then when you look at Marcus, Peters is your second uh, cornerback, brought him over from the Rams a couple of years ago. Um, kind of a, like, um, what's his name with the Cowboys that I'm all of a sudden, Diggs? Um, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs, yeah. thank you. Kind of like a Trayvon Diggs light, but he, even though he came before Trayvon Diggs, I think he's that same type of um, safety that will jump on routes and, and try to go for those interceptions. And sometimes that burdens you because when you jump on those and you miss and they catch it, you're nowhere near in position to make the play and end up giving up uh, big plays. And I think that uh, he's he's like Stefan or not Stefan Trayvon Diggs in that way, um, but he's less aggressive than Trayvon Diggs is. Um, so, yeah, really solid uh, there, and I've been really happy with him coming over from the Rams. Um, he's definitely a Ravens-type player. Um, and then you have the rookie Jalen Armour Davis uh, coming from Bama there. Uh, hopefully he develops. I don't know that he's going to make a huge impact year one, although just with the depth he may have to, um, but we will see with that. Um, you also have Kyle Fuller that came over from uh, the Denver Broncos this year who I will be interested to see what he can accomplish with the Ravens because I thought that he really didn't play that well with the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether that was just a mismatch when it came to coaching and him, uh, if he just had a down year uh, or if he's starting to climb. Um, but we'll just have to see what he can do. I mean, I, well, I, I guess it can't be a mismatch with coaching because he was here with uh, Vic Fangio, which was his coach oh, in, yeah, in Chicago. Chicago. Yep. So, I mean – I, you know, we'll have to see if he can bounce back this year uh, with the new coaching staff in the Ravens. But, um, yeah, behind them, you have Kevon Seymour and then Iman Marshall and Robert Jackson. Um, so solid enough room there. I think your top two carry you. You did lose a lot of depth in the offseason, uh, but you did bring some back as well. So our next room here is the linebackers. Uh, you look at... Tyus Bowser, obviously, and then Josh Bynes and Patrick Queen being your starters there. Um, and behind them, Christian uh, Christian Welch, Malik Harrison, and David Ojabo, the rookie, coming in. And to finish off that room, Jacoby McLean uh, from Auburn, by the way, Josh Ross, and then Vince Beagle. And, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when you look at your starters, Queen, Bynes, and Bowser – you know, all decent enough options there. Uh, you talk about Patrick Queen, a young guy who we're still kind of waiting for him to develop. Um, he's, you know, played decently at times and played not so decently at other times. We'll have to see there. And then you talk about players like uh, Tyus uh, Bowser um, or like David Ojabo uh, in the depth there for that room that uh, can definitely do some edge stuff as well as being, uh, you know, standard 4-3 outside uh, linebackers. So... Uh, definitely a good room there, um, and yeah, I don't think we're going to get a whole lot from Ojabo this year just because of how late into that offseason uh, that injury was, um, but I am definitely excited to see him in 2023. Um, and then moving down to their defensive line, so at defensive end, you have Calais Campbell coming back. Uh, weren't sure if he was going to come back, uh, but he did end up signing a one-year deal, and then Michael Pierce at nose tackle. Uh, well, actually, our defensive end depth uh, behind Clay's Campbell, you have Brent Urban and then Rayshon Nichols as well. Um, and then now moving over to nose tackle, 
Michael Pierce is your starter. He was a Raven uh, for a few years, and I want to say it was either 2019 or 2020 he went over to uh, Minnesota, and then this offseason he just came back to the Ravens. So uh, glad to him have him back, a really solid option uh, right there in the middle. Uh, behind him, Travis Jones out of UConn, who we talked about in the draft. Uh, really solid there, and uh, I'm excited to see how he develops. And then Isaiah Mack. And at defensive tackle, you have Justin Matabuke, uh, you know, another solid starting option there. Broderick Washington and Aaron Crawford. And, uh, you know, for your uh, edge pieces as well, you're looking at Odafe Owe and Justin Houston, who they brought in on a one-year deal uh, just not too long ago here. And then Dalen Hayes and Stephen Means to finish off that room. Um, so, I mean, when you look at this defense as a whole, you've got really solid pieces pretty much all around. Um, I think you question the depth in some places just because you have unproven players, um, but your you know defensive backs look great. Your defensive line looks great. Um, and, I mean, yeah, not a whole lot to complain about with this Ravens defense. At punter, at special teams here, you have uh, the new rookie Jordan Stout, obviously getting drafted in the fourth round. And then uh, the best pick, a kicker in the league, Justin Tucker, uh, you know, ki- uh, doing his thing and uh, breaking records every single year. And, yeah, that is going to do it for the Ravens roster. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think Enrique said it best. We were talking off air. It's like the Ravens roster, it's hard to say. They're almost not one of the com- most complete rosters in the entire league. Um, there's – other than that wide receiver room, I think that's the only thing that sticks out to me as like it makes me cringe when I look at it. But uh, this is a really solid, fairly complete roster. Uh, we'll just have to see uh, what they can do with it this year. So storylines for this season. Can this team avoid the ever-present injury bug? Obviously, you talk about last year. That was the one biggest reason uh, that they just couldn't get where they wanted to go to was because they got – decimated by injuries talk about a cornerback you talk about a running back uh you know across a few different places i mean even wide receiver um you know there was a lot of injuries throughout the year and most teams suffer that unfortunately um but some teams suffered a little bit more than others on certain years and that was just one of those years for the the ravens so hopefully this year won't be quite as bad um now i do think that they lost depth in the off off season we went through a lot of those departures um, and they did offer replacements in a lot of cases, but they're not necessarily proven replacements. You talk about Tyler Linderbaum, uh, expected to take over that um, starting center spot. You talk about at wide receiver, they didn't technically like add anyone to replace Hollywood Brown, but his replacement is Rashad Bateman, um, the first rounder from last year, and so you're relying on that guy to step up. Um, so there's a few spots around this roster like that. Um, and we'll just have to see what happens there. And then, uh, you know, the lack of wi- established wide receiver threat and lack of depth in the overall room scare me. But I do think at the end of the day, like we talked about, the run-heavy offense should take uh, the load off a bit from those wide receivers, especially if you can get the tight ends going, especially with your rookies there, uh, which is another position you're asking a lot of from young guys. Um so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions and things that we'll have to see with uh, players that uh, are not necessarily established in the league. 
Um, but what do you think about this roster, Enrique? Um, I think the roster is very, very deep. Um, I, I, I do think that you are, unfortunately, extremely right about the wide receivers. And I think it's just such a glaring... I mean, they're really going to have to scheme around their weakness just because, I mean, besides, like, what, Odell, maybe swinging a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, Julio's out there, I think. Julio's out there, I guess. But I don't know. I guess it's just Julio has that injury bug himself. Yeah. Odell's rehabbing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just really tough to say who they can go out and get at this point. So it's almost... Like, well, might as well just roll roll on through and see what happens, which if that's the move, then that's the move. But I just don't necessarily think that um, that's the one I would that's the one I would want to Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting situation with that wide receiver room and I mean you know, coming off of that trade, we were all kinda of like, Okay, because I think that was an expected thing, but you, you know you got to replace that production too, and we just haven't seen that. Um, and I think I don't. I guess maybe that speaks to their confidence in the guys that they have, and so we should just wait and see and um, hope that they're right. But I think that uh, most Raven fans right now are feeling uh, not very confident about that room, uh, and you know I think like you're totally right with the veterans that are out there. Um, at least like the big solid contributors uh, that are still out there, a lot of them do have injury history. And so is that something that you really want to bring into that room and it's somebody you're going to be relying on? Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm almost of the mind that something is better than nothing because I feel like right now, you know, is Rashad Bateman nothing? No, but we don't have anything proven in this room right now. So, but we'll have to see how that shakes out. We can move on to their schedule here. Um, so the Baltimore Ravens schedule is going to kick off week one uh, at the New York Jets, uh, which I do think is going to be a fun game. Um, unfortunately, I do think I'm going to pick the Ravens to win that. I do think it's going to be a competitive game. And since it's uh, the Jets home too, I think they're going to have an advantage there. But I do think that this is a team that's young and coming together and looking for a lot of pieces to continue in their development. And so I don't know that they're going to start fast. You know what I mean? Um, I think if they do start fast, that's going to be where it's going to be a really good competitive game, and maybe the Jets do take that. Um, But right now I'm taking that as a win. And then week two, you are versus Miami at home. Um, So, yeah, I think I'm going to take this one as a win as well. We talked about the Miami Dolphins roster. I think it's solid. Um, but the uh, the Ravens, if they have that offense going, that running offense, um, and they can overcome that lack of uh, depth at wide receiver um, and just roll on through like the 2019 offense, uh, I think that that's a win. Uh, week three, you have the New England Patriots. Uh, I think that this one might be a little more competitive just because there wasn't a lot of changes with that team. They're kind of rolling in with a pretty similar team other than like a couple big losses on defense. Um, so, you know, I think that will be competitive, but I think that the Ravens take that as well. So right now, 3-0, and then week four, I think is your first big contending test with uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, at home. I think that that's a loss. 
Buffalo is a team that's uh, looking to uh, finally push through that barrier to the Super Bowl this year. I think they're going to be on the war path, especially early in the season. Um, I do think it will be a competitive game, but uh, I'm a big Buffalo believer right now. Um, so we will have to see. Week five versus Cincinnati at home. Um, you know, Enrique talked about this one on the Bengals schedule. Uh, I think this can be a really fun game to watch. Uh, it's obviously a division game, and uh, it's a fun game always, but especially when both of those teams are good and competitive like they are right now. So um, I'm going to take that as a Ravens win, uh, just as Enrique did in his prediction as well. And then week six, you are at the New York Giants and take that as a win. Week seven versus Cleveland Browns. I have this as a win, assuming that Deshaun Watson is not there. Uh, hopefully at this point in the season, you would think that he would get at least like an eight game six suspension. Um, but again, we don't know. So um, going with a win if he's not there. And then week eight. So this is a toughie right here. Week eight, it's your Thursday game coming off of Cleveland Browns, which are tough even if you don't have Deshaun because they have a good roster. And it's, uh, well, it is a home game at least against Cleveland. But then you travel to Tampa Bay on a Thursday to face Tom motherfucking Brady. Uh, that's going to be a rough game for the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that uh, I'm taking that as a loss on paper. I think that's a game that if they came in there and stormed in, that they could pull something off. But that's a that's a toughie right there. Uh, and then you go to New Orleans the next week, week nine. I have that as a win. Um, and then you get your bye week in week 10. Week 11, you're going to be versus the Carolina Panthers. Uh, and I think I take that as a win as well. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, they do have a solid roster. If Carolina is running, on, running on all cylinders with Baker Mayfield and they look good and potentially a playoff team, uh, then that could be a competitive game. Otherwise, the Ravens got that one, I think. Week 12, you're going to be at Jacksonville. I have that as a win as well. Week 13 versus the Denver Broncos. Uh, obviously a loss for the Ravens here. Uh, you know, the Broncos are just going to win by 35. So, um, And then week 14 at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, I mean, I think depending – the Steelers just depend on Kenny Pickett and their quarterback situation. Um, they do have a decent roster, uh, and we'll go into the Steelers next week there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it, like – a good few teams that we've talked about during this offseason, it really it comes down to the quarterback play um, and what they can get out of those quarterbacks. And so right now with the more proven quarterback um, and the better overall roster, even though the uh, Steelers way outclass the Ravens when it comes to wide receivers, uh, I'm going to take the Ravens in that one um, in the Pittsburgh's home game as well. And then in week 15, you are at Cleveland Browns. Um, that one I'm less sure about. I think potentially you have Deshaun Watson back here if he doesn't get a one-year suspension. Um, and so if that's the case, it's definitely going to be a competitive one. Um, I'm going to take it as a win. Um, you know, and then week 16 versus the Atlanta Falcons, uh, in a kind of a relief game in the middle of these division games here. Um, and I do think that they can take that. And then, uh, you have your second Pittsburgh game at home. Um, I think that they can pull that. And so I did want to stop and say, like, I do have 
the Ravens sweeping both the Browns and the Steelers, which kind of sounds a little ludicrous when it comes to the Browns, but it depends on uh, Deshaun. It really does. And so I think easily if Deshaun's there for week 15, that could be you're at Cleveland. That could be a Cleveland win. Um, and then Steelers, like I said, it depends on the uh, quarterback situation. You know, their home game, they could potentially pull that as well if they're getting good enough quarterback play with a solid roster. Uh, and, you know, talk about Najee Harris and a solid running game. So, but regardless, week 18, you finish off with yet another division game, a banger against the Cincinnati Bengals to end the season. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, that's going to be a loss. I think the Bengals can uh, defend home court there with a Super Bowl competing roster. Um, and, but that is going to be like, if, if there's uh depending on the way the season plays out and if those teams are not like resting starters week 18, uh, because they've already like gotten a playoff position, if there's like actual implications to that week 18 game, that is going to be a heck of a game right there. Um, so I think that boils down to my prediction here, 10 and seven, um, I think that you can float a couple wins either way. Again, you talk about the Deshaun situation, talk about the quarterback situation in uh, Pittsburgh and how that's going to float out. But that's what I'm going with for now. I think that's pretty respectable for the roster they have um, and the weakness that they have. I think that, honestly, the the lack of wide receivers takes the Ravens, uh, I don't want to say out of the conversation of being one of those like very, very top, top contending teams. But I do think that it makes the road harder for them, significantly so, when you're just lacking those weapons that uh, you talk about the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals don't have, like, the running depth that uh, the Ravens do and, like, the offensive line that the uh, Ravens do. But the riches that they have with wide receiver, um, you know, it's it's a completely different ballgame and a different dimension. And then you talk about Joe Mixon on top of that, who's, uh, you know, more than capable of delivering a solid uh, running game alongside Samaj P. Ryan. Um, like, that balance is so valuable, and I worry that the Ravens are leaning too far to one side right now. Um, but, uh, you know, we can go through some of these thoughts real quick, and then I can hand it over uh, to Enrique. So, first of all, pretty mixed schedule. Not really a super, or not really a lot of super hard or super weak stretches. Um, so I feel like they kind of got lucky when it comes to getting a couple easier games and a couple harder games. And it's there's not a lot of straight long stretches of either one. Um, you know, so I, I think that's kind of a, a boon that like you don't you never want five. We were talking about like five away games in a row or five hard games in a row against like contending teams because that's just asking for a uh, like losing streak to pop up Um, and you never want it to fall too much the either way too because then you can kind of get fluky with things and I think that's where like trap games almost come in is when you get like five easy games in a row and then a kind of sneaky game comes up in there and you lose a game you shouldn't because you're you know all confident about yourself Um, so you know I I think the best schedule is just mixed around and shuffled like that that's kind of what the Ravens are looking at Um, and then our next one here the division will be brutal, and you uh, play four division games in your last five. We kind of talked about it going through there. Two trips to uh, – or Pittsburgh comes to you, and then to Pittsburgh. 
And then you face Cleveland and uh, Cincinnati as well, all in those last five weeks. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty tough in a very tough division, um, especially you talk about the Super Bowl uh, contending, defending um, Bengals. So, uh, and then their next, uh, you know, schedule thing here, Thursday game at Tampa against Brady might be a bloodbath. Uh, we talked about that week eight coming off the week seven Cleveland game uh, with probably without Deshaun Watson, but still then you go from that to uh, a away Tampa Bay game on a Thursday against Tom Brady. Uh, that's that's going to be a toughie. That's going to be a real toughie. So, Enrique, what do you think about the Ravens' schedule? Um, well, I think, like you said, I think they have a pretty mixed schedule. I'm not uh, – I guess it really just depends. I think the Sean Watson thing is, is huge for the schedule because if, if the Browns have the Sean Watson, I do think it's a totally different totally different um, divisional game. Like, yeah. Um, but if they don't have him, I mean – you do got some gimmies, you know, um, but then I just think playing your division is so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Bengals games are huge. Both both of them are huge. Um, depending on Deshaun Watson, both of those games are huge. Um, and then obviously you got the Steelers. So, but I think the Steelers are a little bit more manageable. But like when you have to play the Bills Week Four, and then you have to play the Bengals right after that, like. They're two heavy hitting AFC teams. That, yeah, you know, aren't. And um, then you got to play Tom Brady week eight, and then go play the Saints after that. But I will say this: at least their bye week is like, in my opinion, like one of the more better spots. Yeah. It's like a little bit more than half. Yeah. You know? So yeah, ten games uh, or week ten to every bye week is pretty good. Cannot complain about it. Yeah, absolutely. That that was something I noted too. Is almost smack dab in the middle, like you said, just a little bit uh, farther past it. And um, yeah, that's a that's a really solid place uh, in the schedule for that bye week. But yeah, overall, I mean, I think I struggle to lean either way on the Ravens' schedule. I think they just kind of have like a nice average schedule. Like it's not too hard. It's not too easy on paper. Um, and I think you know, like we said, there's a couple things that. We're just going to have to wait and see how they shake out. But, um, yeah, overall, pretty good for the Ravens. So that is going to do it for us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week.